0: This is Connected to Chicago. A look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Now, Connected to Chicago. Welcome to Connected to Chicago. Our guest this week is Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal, who sits on several committees, one of those budget and government operations. And Alderman, that's where I'd like to start. Thanks for joining us first of all. Always a pleasure. This is a huge budget, $16 billion. Uh, Not everyone's happy with it. In your eyes, what's the biggest uh, problem with it?
1: Well, I think the biggest problem with this budget is, you know, right now it's a $2 billion increase from last year's budget. Uh, And that is the CARES Act money uh, that we've gotten from the federal government. And we're using all of that CARES Act money in one year uh, to plug the holes that that we have in our budget. And the problem with that is those are one-time fixes. So once this money runs out next year... Now, we're going to have over $2 billion hole next year because all these so-called programs that they're looking to create, they're not going to be sustainable. So we we create these, uh, you know, the administration said last week that, you know, wanted to create all these different programs and things like that and hire all this personnel to implement the programs. But then once you do that and that money runs out in a year, then what happens? We're going to have a huge deficit, huge hole, and then we're going to have to lay off and then we're going to have to cut all these programs that are supposed to be designed to help us climb out of the hole, help with crime, um, putting people back to work and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think some of the money she was saying was even going to be towards like promoting um, travel here to the city. What's a better use for those federal dollars? Where do you think that money should really go towards?
1: Well, I think it should be what it's designed for. It should be designed to help uh, people create businesses, help create jobs because that's what we need here in the city of Chicago. We need more people back to work. And so we need to be having, we should roll out a very aggressive entrepreneur promotion program to help people create businesses, put people to work, because that's how you're gonna grow out of this economy. You know, you can't just cut your way out. You can't use these one-time fixes. You have to create opportunity and you have to grow um, out of a recession or depression and things like that. And the only way you do that is to create jobs put people to work and give them
0: opportunities. Are there some programs out there now, though, that that kind of do this, or is it not up to to the standards where it needs to be? Well, my thing is right now
1: we have this one-time opportunity to do something really special, and, yes, we already have some programs to help uh, create jobs and opportunity, but with this money, we have an opportunity to do something on a larger level on, you know, and do something really special on, uh, you know, and just do something that's really going to be impactful for generations to come instead of squandering all this money in one year because we have this huge deficit, this huge budget hole. And what we're doing is we're, we're using the, the federal money and putting it in our corporate budget and then using our corporate budget to do all of these different things. And so we're, it's a shell game and we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And it's just—it's really, really concerning to me that once this money runs out, we're, we're going to be left holding the bag.
0: When she was introducing the budget, it did kind of sound, kind of like a campaign speech. No, no new taxes. We've got this extra money. Um, is this going to come back maybe to to bite the mayor in the butt later? Well, let me just say this: there are new taxes. There's a
1: seventy-five million dollars tax increase in this budget. So the the whole myth about there are no new taxes is a total. Lie and uh, there's a 75 million dollar tax increase in this budget, and so you know I think um, the administration is not being truthful when it comes to that, and um, you know there is a 75 million dollar property tax increase in this budget.
0: That's on. Is that a new uh, new building? though? is that the way I read that?
1: Well, what it is is 25 million of um, you know AMI, which is an automatic increase that they voted for last year. So every year, no matter what. Property taxes are going to increase by at least twenty five million, but the thing is it's going to double next year um, you know and so there you have that, and then they say that we have twenty five million dollars in growth uh, because of you know new uh, properties coming online and new businesses coming online, so we, you know we've got a little infusion there, and then there's another seventy five million of additional tax increases, and so when you look at it that seventy five million, no matter how you slice and dice it, it's a tax increase. It's a property tax increase, and to say that oh, there are no new taxes is is totally not being truthful. Is there
0: anything in the budget that you like?
1: Well, we're putting a lot of money into violence uh, prevention, and I think that's where we need to really be focusing on. Violence prevention is where uh, I think we can make some headway uh, with some of the problems that we're having in the community. Um, you know, we're not hiring additional police, and you know, which we're going to be down over two thousand police. By the, um, you know, sometime next year, we, in, because we wiped out 614 police positions last year in last year's budget. And right now we have over a thousand vacancies. So that's 1600. And then you have another three to 400 that are looking to retire by the end of the year. And so right now we only have about 200 officers in the police academy. And so with all this crime running rampant, I think we need to double up on um, our academy and getting more officers on the street because we, it, you have to come at it from different angles. You have to have the violence prevention, and then you also have to have the law enforcement working together uh, to tamp down this violence that we're dealing with. And so, yeah, I mean, there are some things um, in the budget that I do like, but at the same time, there's a lot that I don't like.
0: So $85 million for uh, violence prevention programs. I think there was another $65 million or so for youth programs. That kind of ties into violence prevention, right? we got to get the youth involved keep them off the streets, get them into activities, and hopefully that, that kind of pays off in the end, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and let me just say, and that goes back to what I said earlier, is that we have, these are one-time infusion of funds. And so we're, we're creating these programs, but after next year, what happens? That money's not going to be there. So we're going to create these programs and put people to work, and then we're going to let the people down next year because the funds are not going to be there to keep these programs going. And so that's why I talk about this budget is not sustainable.
0: When it comes to keeping kids off the street, what is the mayor doing right? What is uh, David Brown doing right? Um, I, I guess overall the whole violence issue in Chicago as a whole, are, are things can be done a, a little differently in your opinion, whether it be in the mayor's office or the superintendent's office? Right. Well, I think what we need to do is we need to take the handcuffs off the police uh,
1: and, and allow the police to do their job and support the police because they're being overworked and they're very tired uh, they have a, a you know a lot of overtime that they've been forced to work, their days off have been forced um, to be canceled. and so I think what we need to do is look at how we're going to um, you know support them uh, moving forward. Now I do appreciate the superintendent um, you know reversing course on that new uh, pilot program that he implemented that was a total disaster and now he's backing up and changing that. Uh, that, you know, that new unit he created and put a thousand officers and took all the officers out of the community and moved them downtown. And, you know, that just didn't work because right now I'm I'm about 120 officers short in my district out here on the South side. And if, if I'm short, that means the rest of the city is short. And so that's why we have to, we have to take the handcuffs off the police, allow them to do their jobs. When you tell the, when you tell the public we're not going to pursue foot chases we're not going to pursue car chases that is you know cold word to the street just run If you you know you're going to do a crime just run the police are not going to chase you and so that's why you see a lot of this crime escalating is because they know they're not going to be chased and they're not going to be caught
0: could they uh redeploy some of those those units maybe the ones that uh, in, in areas where there's less violence, uh, the north side, and, and move some of those officers down south? Or it's, it's, I guess what you're saying is really it's a manpower issue, and, and they kind of dropped the ball and haven't kept up with with uh, recruiting.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. And that's why you know, I recommended uh, last year that we bring in the National Guard, and a lot of people frowned upon that. But the thing is we have a lot of officers just standing around downtown right now. When you go downtown, you go down Michigan Avenue, State Street, you have a lot of officers just standing around. That's manpower that can be back in the communities. And I think that we can have the National Guards stand on north corners and having a presence to kind of deter, um, you know, any type of crime that's going to be taking place downtown. But you can't pull resources out of the community and put them in another area because then, you know, the areas in the communities are going to go up for grabs. And that's why you see it happening right now. The communities are going up for grabs.
0: I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you about, um, if I can, the ward remap that's coming up in December. Uh, for people that don't know how that works, what does that process look like? Well, that's
1: when all the aldermen go into the room, and uh, individually and then uh, collectively in groups, uh, in regions and things like that, and we start redrawing the lines based on the census counts and the population. Uh, we've had a population drop in the African-American community, and uh, and then... You know, the um, uh, Caucasian community has an increase, uh, and then there's um, a little increase for the Latino community. And so when you look at that, you have to start changing the war boundaries and and, and make sure that each community are represented uh, in those war uh, boundary remaps. And so we're we're changing that. We do this every 10 years, and it's a very strenuous, very stressful process because nobody wants to give up anything. And, of course, you know, everybody wants to give up the stuff that they don't want. And that nobody else wants, <laughs> so they are serious, you know. So you know, you have people trying to offload the stuff they don't want, and uh, you know. But it's it's uh, at the end of the day, we we tug and we fight and we go through it. And but at the end of the day, after the after the map is passed, then uh, we really go back to being uh, you know very strong colleagues and moving trying to move the city forward.
0: is uh, one of the guests who does our reporter roundtable, and she actually just emailed me um, and wanted to know since you were going to be a, our guest. Uh, what those remapping efforts are, how are they going, and whether Black aldermen will be able to draw 18 majority wards based on the 2020 census numbers.
1: Well, based on the 2020 census numbers, it, it does look like um, you know it would take a whole lot of creativity to draw to draw 18 African American wards. Um, the way the numbers are and the way people are situated, it, it very uh, could be possible that we lose an African American ward based on the census count and the population. That has dropped in the African-American community. I mean, we've dropped significantly this this um, census count. And then the last census count, we, we lost about one hundred and eighty thousand. So African-Americans are leaving this city, um, you know, in droves. Is that because of crime, you think? Well, I, crime, opportunity, education, uh, you know, so you know, people are looking for work. And people are going to go somewhere where they, their, their families can be safe and, and they can um, provide education for their kids and find employment at the same time. And if people don't see that Chicago is, uh, you know, offering those amenities, then they're going to look to go someplace
0: else. So is the Latino Caucus, and that word would probably go, because there there has been an increase in the Latino population, right?
1: There's been a slight increase in the Latino population. And then let's not forget about the Asian population. The Asian population has increased significantly, and based on the census count. You know they're entitled to a award being drawn for them as well, and so you have to take all these things into account um, when you when certain populations increase or decrease. You have to you know draw the map according to those numbers, and it's it's not easy um, because if you have a say for instance an African American ward, but then you have an Asian population right next to you that's growing, then you know if you, if the numbers shift, it can become an Asian po- an Asian ward, uh, predominantly an Asian ward. So those are the type of things that you know we have to fight through.
0: So it's stressful for you guys, obviously, to go through this every, would you say 10 years? Um, mm-hmm. how does this, how does it affect or impact, uh, members of the community? I mean, essentially, you could be in one alderman's ward and the next day be in somebody else's ward, right? And, you know, uh, people, people have to understand that you, uh, in the city of Chicago, you work very closely with your alderman on a number of things, whether it be, you mm-hmm. know, guest parking for for somebody, a, a lot of things. So what is the impact on on residents then when, when this shuffle happens?
1: Well, when the shuffle happens, uh, because there was a, an area in which uh, in the last remap uh, I took in a, a population and, uh, you know, they were accustomed to being in a certain war. They've been in a certain war for over 30, 40 years. And they didn't want to change. And so, you know, we didn't have a choice but to change. Uh, but however, what I did was I, I concentrated and I went and, and I ta- attacked that particular area um, with visibility, letting you know, getting to know the people in that area. And so that's all part of the process. If there, if you're picking up an area that pr- was not in your ward previously, you just have to go in and attack that area and get them to know who you are and, and build the confidence that, you know, you're going to represent them. Um, you know, better than even the representation they had the last time.
0: And again, that process is uh, starting in December, but it's really already started for you guys, right? I guess it has to be done by December?
1: It has to be done by December 1st, and then after December 1st, then, you know, uh, based on the population, uh, we'll get the data uh, of the area that we've taken off, uh, taken up, and then the area that, um, you know, I'll do a direct mailing, and you know, let people know that, hey, now I'm your alderman and, you know, if you need services, here's my number, here's my email, my staff is available and things like that. So, like you said, you just have to let people know that they're not going to miss a beat. They're going to uh, still have representation. And my thing is I pride myself on services. And so I think moving forward, uh, you know, I'll let them know they're going to get better service than they were getting before.
0: I want to ask you about uh, COVID-19 because of course it's still in the news, still around. We thought it'd be gone by now, but uh here we are. Um in your ward in particular, um there in the ninth, how are things uh going? Do you have a, an idea of how many people maybe have been vaccinated? Are you concerned about the schools maybe having to close again and what folks are going to mm-hmm. have to do for child care? I mean, you know, parents got to stay home and the kids at home, right? Can't go to work. <laughs> It, absolutely. And, and numbers are increasing a, a little bit in my area. Uh,
1: you know, we've been very, very aggressive going after, um, you know, attacking this, uh, this virus. And we've been asking people to get the shot and things like that. And we're going to continue to do that. And so, you know, I have a very strong uh, senior population and my seniors want that shot. And, you know, we just have to make sure it's available to them and that they, they can get it. And, you know, they don't have to travel far in order to get it.
0: And what about the, the fact that, you know, if um, CPS were to go backwards? I, I don't know if they will, but I guess there's always a chance. Are there support groups out there uh, to help some daycare services and that kind of thing to to help residents that if they find themselves in a position where they got to keep the kid at home in a quarantine that they can still get to work? Well, you know, those are some of the challenges that we're having. Um, there
1: was a lot of uh, child care facilities that were cut. Um, you know, through the last budget and, you know, we're trying to figure uh, that whole thing out. And that's where CPS really has to step up to the plate. And, and that can be something where I talked about earlier with this new with this federal money. Maybe we, we need to, you know, create a few more daycare facilities where people can send their kids to these, these things. So that's where you have to get creative and fill the void and create opportunities that weren't there uh, prior to all this money. So it's real important that we don't blow this money. And right now it looks like we're blowing $1.8 billion and it's going to go out the door and it's going to be gone in a year. And there's nothing, there's nothing going to be left where it's going to be sustainable going forward. And we're going to be really, really in bad shape if the economy does not recover like we think it is. It's going to be disastrous.
0: How is your reward uh, poised for a economic comeback? How, how are businesses doing? Well, we're doing we're doing pretty good. Um, you
1: know, we we were able to uh, attract an Amazon uh, last year, so um, we have Amazon that just came online, and we have Se Johnson who bought another uh, facility in my area, and so we're creating jobs and opportunity. We've created about um, sixteen hundred uh, jobs, and it's about four hundred and thirty five million of public private investment over the last couple of years. And uh, you know, we, we I think we're doing well, but we still have challenges. We know that we're. got to keep our, you know, we got to keep the grind, so to speak. And we got to continue to create these opportunities for people to stay in our our area and not want to leave the city, not want to leave the state. And so it's, uh, you know, I'm excited about where we are, but at the same time, we still have challenges that we continue to move forward. And that's why we can't stop and we have to continue this
0: movement. Just got a little over a minute left here. I've got another question from uh, Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, who also sits on uh, the round table uh, with us. Um, I guess there's a a report out by the Trib um, talking about uh, Jay Doherty over at the City Club uh, saying that uh, he got duped by ComEd uh, in the whole bribery uh, scandal, probe, whatever you want to call it. Um, So Ray asked uh, whether Doherty... Uh, ever lobbied, you were ever lobbied by Jay Doherty or whether Doherty ever explained that he was duped uh, by ComEd over the indictment? No, not at all. And and I do know
1: Jay Doherty. I've known him for years. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's been around for a long time in the city. Uh, but no, he's never lobbied me at all. He's never had any conversations with me at all as it relates to lobbying for ComEd.
0: And we'll leave it there. My thanks to Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal. Up next, the Reporter Roundtable. This is Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron. A look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. And welcome to the Reporter Roundtable part of the program where we welcome in Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief of the Chicago Sun-Times, Heather Sharon of WTTW Chicago Tonight, and Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business. Well, really big story here in Chicago this week. The Bears with a possible move to Arlington Heights. Greg, I read your story in Cranes. Oh, uh, you're saying not so fast, right? Well, I think that uh, the Bears clearly
2: made the point that this is serious. If you remember when uh, when work first leaked out in June, that they were thinking that this, the mayor blew it off and said, oh, this is just a bargaining position. No, I don't think this is a bargaining position. And, yeah, I think uh, if this well could happen, the odds are probably uh, at least 50-50, maybe somewhat better than that, uh, That it will. But it ain't a done deal yet. Um uh, for three reasons that I think, uh, one I want to see if there's any blowback in Arlington Heights. I mean, the initial reaction was pretty good, but uh, uh, but effectively they're turning a a nice a, a nice uh, area that's pretty empty and had occasional horse races into a huge entertainment complex. This isn't just going to be tailgating four or five times a year, this can be real and serious intense use of that property. And I want to see how the neighbors go for that. They may not. Uh, they may not like all the traffic. I want to see how they got to pay for it. This term, this team, the, the McCaskies, have always been very conservative. They're going to either have to dilute their ownership share or, or or take on a whole bunch of debt, and those are not the kinds of things. That's not the kind of risk-taking that the, the McCaskeys or the Bears are known for. And three, I want to see if Mayor Lightfoot uh, comes up with an alternative. There's uh, there's some stuff she can do, maybe a lot of stuff she can do. Uh, but her initial reaction was kind of, well, I don't know. I got to worry about taxpayers. Oh, she almost seemed to feed us. That's the word I used. I think the word the Sun Times used to describe her stance. Let's see if she gets engaged because she has as much to lose here as anybody. No. Mayor wants to be known as the mayor that lost the Bears.
3: Yeah, it's just one of those one of those stories that just keeps coming back, and it just ke- keeps reminding me of the great Mayor Daly, The first uh, phrase about if they want to move to Arlington Heights, they can't be the Arlington, they can't be the Chicago Bears anymore.
0: Yeah, they'd have to go, go know, along with. I the...
4: think
5: they have they have uh, federal protection on the name. They own the name. So they can beat the Chicago Bears. <laughs>
3: well, there you go. So th- they may have out they may have outwiggled it, everybody here, and and I agree with Greg that it, this one seems uh, serious. So um, there's multiple cards that can still be played, but um, will the mayor step up?
0: And of course, yeah, I think. Uh, didn't the governor say that there would be no, um, no, no state help for for something? It, n- certainly not like uh, Comiskey, where you know uh, the state, uh, uh, sports board would uh, do that. There's going to be no help at all, right?
3: Well, he he basically said, you know, Lightfoot and the uh, Arlington Heights folks are going to have to figure out how to. Uh, get this funded. And the question is whether local taxpayers uh, will have a piece of that or not to build a, a stadium for the Bears. And um, I, you know, I covered the last time that they um, built, that they got the money and financing for the uh, Chicago Bears Stadium that that is now inside Soldier Field. Uh, folks call it a sausage-shaped field, field now. But the I mean, there was great reluctance then. There was a lot of skepticism, especially from downstaters, and I don't believe the, the bills have all been paid off from the last one.
0: Another big story I think, uh, out there is uh, of course what 's happening uh, in Washington uh, with the infrastructure bill. some progressive kind of progressives are kind of blocking things they're holding up a deal they want this uh, bigger package out there lynn what what's the latest uh, going on now what uh, has Nancy Pelosi said lately
5: Well, as we speak on Friday afternoon, the fate of this package is uncertain. President Biden went up to the Hill to talk to the Democratic caucus, it only takes three members in the House to say no to cause, uh, to defeat a measure, and of the progressives that are uh, trying to use this bill on infrastructure to leverage for a larger, broader bill, uh, two of them, we well know, they're from, their Illinois Democrats, Jan Schakowsky and Jesus Chewy garcia so this is very high stakes. It would be a big, big setback for President Biden if this doesn't go through. So again, so our listeners know two bills, one with bipartisan agreement on infrastructure two, another bill where there's uh, that would only be carried by Democratic votes with a big number of social safety net issues. In the Senate, where it's 50-50, every Democrat has to stick together. So two senators who don't support it, kirsten Cinema in Arizona and Joe Manchin in West Virginia, right now hold the keys to both bills because the House progressive Democrats don't trust them and think that they wouldn't vote yes on the second bill. It's also called the reconciliation bill. So there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of complex politics, a lot of infighting. Uh, or, n- let me put it this way, a lot of internal disagreement among Democrats as we speak. I'm making no predictions how this will turn out, except as Jan Schakowsky said, and I, I quoted her at the end of my column today, never bet against Nancy Pelosi.
0: Mm. And and they did pass a continuing resolution as far as keeping the government open, right? That happened this week? Yeah,
5: yeah yes, that happened. Uh, so that's one crisis averted. Uh, but this is a right but this this now is the looming mm-hmm. uh big problem for the biden white house
0: yeah um i wanted to address uh covid too because that's uh, again in the news uh today as we're recording this is the last day for uh chicago employees that are mandated to get the uh, vaccine to get it in order to be fully immunized by the time the 15th of uh october comes around and I guess we've we've heard from the mayor, Dr. Arwadi, uh, CPS also coming out. The new CEO, Pedro Martinez, says he's going to start working on on improving schools. Heather, you uh, have been covering this. What is the latest what what first what is coming out of CPS? What is Pedro Martinez saying that he's going to do?
4: Well, he started on Wednesday, and you want to talk about a baptism by fire. That's certainly what he's going undergoing uh, as he starts his new position. Um, he addressed the news media for the first time on Wednesday and said that He was working to improve the way that CPS does a number of things, one, to improve testing for students at CPS, to improve contact tracing for students who do test positive for COVID-19, and he said he would explore expanding the district's remote option for parents and students who are concerned that it's just not safe right now to be in school. Now, Dr. Allison Arwadi, the, the city's top doctor, says it is absolutely safe for students to be in school um, and that there have not been large outbreaks of COVID-19 um, in Chicago schools. Um, how, however, um, it's really not clear sort of what will happen um, after the vaccine mandate goes into effect, which um, start which takes effect October fifteenth as you said, and applies to city employees as well as cPS employees. It's not clear how that will be enforced um, or whether um, employees will have an opportunity to test routinely for some period. Of time after that deadline passes. I've asked the mayor's office for clarification on that and not heard back. Yeah,
2: Nick, uh, as as has been the case with uh, with CPS and COVID from the beginning. Uh, this rollout was frankly kind of a mess. Uh, they promised testing that hasn't been available. Uh, uh, the, the teachers' union is 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 uh, just you know chomping at the bit, to bite their heads off mm-hmm. every time they do everything. It's not been it's not been a uh, a smooth rollout. That having been said, if we take a step back. Uh, the numbers, both statewide and citywide and nationally now, seem to be improving in, uh, in a pretty rapid fashion. Um, uh, we've seen it be through this wave, uh, or, uh, I say that advisedly, uh, and that's probably because it's something like 80% of qualified adults in Illinois have received at least one COVID vaccination as of today. Uh that's, that's not here a herd immunity, but it's sure a, a major step in that direction. Uh, and the question is whether, uh, whether because of Mandates and continuing public pressure; those numbers are going to continue to rise. So then we have, when we have the next little bump, and we undoubtedly will have one sometime during the winter. It'll be small, but uh, but uh, despite the despite the eternal angst at uh, Chicago public schools, there is some good news out there.
0: Is this going to make uh, the teachers union maybe step back and say, "Okay, we can deal with with this new superintendent, this new CEO"? Is, is that some of the thinking, Greg?
2: Um, I, the, that would surprise me, Nick. This uh, uh, this teachers' union seems to always be looking for an excuse to fight rather than an excuse to work things out. Sometimes they have a point, but they're awfully antagonistic. And, frankly, I suspect a lot of Chicagoans are sick to death of it. Yeah.
0: Ray had a good piece uh, in the Tribune about uh, former City Club president Jay Doherty. A lot of folks know him. Um, he was swept up in the whole Comed uh, probe, and uh, I guess Ray, I learned a lot of interesting things about uh, uh, about the whole thing, the overall picture. You had like ten stories punched into one there. Um, <laughs> but what? So what's what's with te- the text messages? Uh, Jay was exchanging text messages with the mayor, right?
3: Yeah, that's why this whole story came about. Really, is because uh, our uh, city hall reporter Greg Pratt was smart to. Uh, uh, file Freedom of Information Act requests for text messages by the mayor uh, to and from the mayor. And uh, among those text messages were, lo and behold, Jay Doherty. And he had a, on uh, his uh, uh, doings with ComEd and uh, the allegations against him. Obviously, he's one of the four people who have been indicted um, uh, in the ComEd scandal, uh, he's a lobbyist, longtime uh, ComEd lobbyist, longtime uh, head of the City Club. Uh, the City Club, by the way, is is uh, still operating. It hasn't. This hasn't really. Um, uh, spilled over into the Mm -hmm. City Club. Uh, Doherty's gone from that now, and the City Club hasn't been charged in anything. But what the text really uh, gave you was an inside view of somebody trying to uh, spin a better tale about what was going on. He uh, said to the mayor in a text that he was just an innocent bystander caught in the crossfire in the whole ComEd scandal and he uh... wanted to explain in person he sent her a fact sheet and he said uh... He uh, put in 34 years of faithful and honest hard work for ComEd, and he was stunned to learn that ComEd had duped him, that ComEd had lied to him, and that ComEd had used me. And, of course, he also had uh, been asked to and had put on his payroll several uh People who were uh, Madigan allies, who were um, in jobs that uh, did very, where they did, where they had to do very little, uh, such as uh, former 13th Ward Alderman Frank Olivo, and of course, um, Frank Olivo used to uh, be the guy that uh, Madigan uh, had uh, doing his work in the 13th Ward, where Madigan is king. He has been. Uh, uh, committeeman there, Democratic Committeeman there for 13th, year, 13, uh, 50 years in the 13th, and um, uh, Doherty in wire uh, taps or in other ways that they have that the Feds have uh, picked up conversations here. He has said some uh, things that are not quite the same, as you would say. Um, he said uh, Do- Doherty's uh, had uh, told some of the COMED folks that. Um, he had been, uh, doing, uh, the, the hiring of some of these associates because these are the guys who keep their mouths shut. And, uh, and do they do anything for me on a day-to-day basis? Uh, no. So, uh, what this really did was, uh, peel back a layer of the, of the scandal and, uh, gave us an inside view of how people who are on
2: the hot seat, uh, try to explain themselves to the mayor. Yeah, what struck me about the story, uh, folks, uh, isn't that Jay would try to wiggle his way out of uh, out of uh, being culpability. I mean, we'll see if, we'll see if his excuse flies with the jury or not. Uh, what struck me is is why Mayor Lightfoot and Rick Critt. Tell me if I got the, the, the my facts right here. Why Mayor Royfoot would accept a text from him after he's stepped down from the city club and after he's been indicted, uh, in which he asks her to uh, find a, a job for a friend of, her, of his, and she says, well, I don't know, but I'll pass it on. depends on the qualifications. That staggers me.
3: Yeah, it's uh, the whole thing is is uh, really uh, amazing to me that she would continue to uh, have a— a texting conversation with somebody who is uh, under the under the under federal scrutiny and then indicted and uh, she um, being a former federal prosecutor, you would think would be a little uh, less uh, generous in in who she takes and replies to.
0: I wanted to ask about, uh, the presidential, uh, center, uh, that, uh, Mr. Obama was in town for. They did the official groundbreaking. Uh, the mayor was there. The governor was there. Yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, Lynn, was there, was there a message? I seem to get a message, um, from the groundbreaking and comments that were made that this is not, this is more than just, um, a a presidential center honoring President Obama, but this is supposed to be a hub for the community.
5: Well, as they have said, all this is a big piece of the Obama post-presidential portfolio where they will train, as they say, the next uh, generation of global leaders. So there's four buildings on the complex, the museum, which will be homage to... uh, the life and times, and the times before the Obamas, the times that led to the election of the nation's first black president, then they will have an athletic facility that could turn into a conference center, a forum. And here's a little twist. Obama decided not to have this be the home of his official federal-run presidential library. This is not a presidential library, but since people kind of I since library was in there I guess they decided to pay for the construction of a Chicago Public Library on the site and they have a contract to build you know with the Chicago Public Library or will have one to run a facility on it so there's uh, and also you'll have uh, mrs. Obama whose vegetable garden got worldwide attention uh, during mm-hmm. the Uh, The presidency, she'll also have a vegetable garden on the site. There'll be a restaurant. There'll be a recording studio. So there really is an intent to have things going on for local residents, tourists, uh, and then uh, people who are in training to do leadership projects. They have uh, some... uh, People already in the pipeline who have been working at who have been fellows at Columbia University and the University of Chicago doing this, and they've had symposiums uh, all around the world, uh, starting before COVID, that is. So, all this activity hopefully in their planning creates uh, economic activity on this and jobs on the south side.
0: Heather, do you think that this has gained more support um, at the local level? Uh, Do you think that with all these kind of different amenities, I'll call them that they're going to have there is, is support uh, gaining there for some on the, on the south side there in Jackson Park where a lot of them were saying, Hey, we need this, we need this community agreement first.
4: Well, there is a community agreement, and it was one that was resisted under, it was resisted by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, as well as the former president, uh, but pushed through under Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Alderman Jeanette Taylor, who represents Woodlawn, um, and that has some provisions in it to perfect. Protect longtime residents and to ensure that affordable housing is built on the numerous vacant land that is around the center. So it will really, uh, you know, we are about to see whether that was enough. Uh, I think concerns remain that it will accelerate gentrification in Woodlawn. Uh, there are also concerns about the number of trees that had to be removed for the center now the center is going to replant you know just as many trees and you know plant more but um i think you know in most of the city Uh, The plans for the Obama Presidential Center have been very popular, although I think there were questions about why Jackson Park, Um, but it sailed through the city council. And I know that Mayor Lightfoot was excited to sort of preside over the the groundbreaking, even though it was somewhat muted by COVID-19 concerns, as well as the desire to avoid uh, any protests from parks advocates who are still suing to stop the construction even though their attempt to um, get a Supreme Court order to stop it uh, failed
5: uh, several months ago. Yeah, the case is still pending on appeals, and there's a hearing in uh, federal appellate court in Chicago on November 30th.
0: Okay, so keep an eye on that. Just a minute left, and Greg, uh, you had a story in Cranes that I wanted to address. Kind of a shake-up of sorts for METRA. A lot of people rely on METRA, and this is between METRA and Union Pacific, right?
2: Yeah, this is inside baseball, but it potentially affects riders. Uh, uh, U-Peak runs uh, most of the... A good, about, about half of, of Amtrak's lines, all the old former Chicago Northwestern stuff, and uh, the problem for MENTA is UP wants to get out of the, out of the passenger business entirely. They want to focus on freight, on so they're telling MENTA to take over operation, just like you do with the metric, with the electric lines, for instance. Uh, and uh, the, they uh, stare at each other and yell at each other, and lawyers filed suits back and forth. Well, in in federal court a few days ago, about a week ago, as we as we as we record this, the federal court. Decided for UP. They said, Metro, if they want to go, you can't force them to stay. Now they have to work out a separation agreement. Everybody insists it's going to be fine. There's going to be no inconvenience to riders, but we'll see. Until it's done, it's it's done. But it is is going to be different. Uh, If if you ride the the, the line to Elburn or Kenosha or whatever, you're going to have a new, uh, new operator sometime soon. Hmm.
0: Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks uh, to everyone who joined us today. Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, Heather Sharone of WTTW Chicago Tonight, Lynn Sweet of the Sun-Times, and Greg Hines of Crane's Chicago Business. Up next, Lauren Cohn. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.
6: I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago, and several Chicago aldermen are calling for the city to mandate proof of vaccination for people visiting public indoor settings. Joining me is 32 Ward Alderman Scott Wagasbach. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Why are you supporting the effort?
7: Well, I signed on to get a hearing on it, and I think the most important thing is to just have Dr. Arwadi and her health team sit down with the public and just tell us whether this is a good idea or not. Um, I'm not 100 percent sold on uh, what's being proposed, but I think it's important to kind of look at all aspects of it.
6: What's your biggest concern as we move forward in this pandemic?
7: Well, I think the uh, the biggest concern for me is just making sure that uh, businesses have the option, you know, if they um, if they have strict requirements Um, That's great for either mass or vaccinations. We we do see some businesses doing it, but where we might not have it or we don't have government offices doing it, that we take a little bit um, more effort to make sure that people either have the proof of vaccine or, you know, that we're really pushing masking requirements to kind of knock out this thing once and for all.
6: We do have mass mandates in the city and across the state, but there are plenty of businesses. I've been in them where they're still ignoring those, even in, in businesses like health clubs or, you know, stores or companies where they're requiring people to be vaccinated. You walk in and you see a lot of people not obeying by the mass mandates. How do you get people to wear them if these businesses won't enforce rules set by the city and the state?
7: Well, you know, one way is a mandate, but again, uh, like you said, even with the mandate, people are ignoring it. I think that we have to continue to keep pressure on uh, the PR campaign to to make sure that people know the healthcare risk of this and. It's this is a very difficult thing. I think we see a lot of people second guessing and, you know, getting sick and really looking back and saying, I wish I would have worn a mask. I wish I would have got the vaccine. And that is really doing a lot of damage to the healthcare care system. So I think we have to look at it from the economics as well and just tell people, um, you know, we we need to take these steps because of uh, not only the economics, but the health of everyone involved. So it, it's a difficult task.
6: Do you agree with some uh, public officials who have come out and said that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated?
7: Um, Not entirely, because what we are seeing is some people with the vaccine uh, end up with the either the variants that are out there or it's breaking through those. So every human being has, uh, you know, a different body and a different reaction to it. So I think that's not a hundred percent true, but I think it's important to know that the vast majority of people getting the vaccine are okay. It's just, again, it's, um, it's, it's a, this is something that none of us have uh, really seen before. I mean, I spent a couple of years working in hospitals in Africa. I went through and, and saw different types of viruses. And, uh, I think, you know, we, we didn't see this coming at a global level like this, but, um, I think it's important to make sure that everybody takes every effort they can to to minimize it and mitigate it.
6: Alderman Scott Wagesbeck, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago.
0: Connected to Chicago, a production of WLS
6: News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.